So I think I mentioned on here that I was playing the game Wordle. Wordle. Played the game Wordle. Playing the game Wordle. I've been playing that. I now play Quartle. Because Wordle, it gets old. I do it every night because it's, it's just something simple to do. But I, I found another one called Quartle with a Q. And you have to solve four different Wordles at once. And I've given up try, trying to get it right every time. But like anything, the more you do it, the better you get. I mean, Quartle, like the first time I tried to do it, I couldn't even comprehend what I was supposed to do. And it seemed so insanely difficult. But it is possible. And I do get it right. I feel like I'm at a point, I don't want to jinx myself, but I feel like I get it right half the time. But you have seven tries to get four words. And it's if you've played Wordle, you've, it's four times that at once. But it's nice to have a challenge because when things are too easy, they get boring. When things are too easy for too long, they get boring. And you know what? I, I learned that with video games Early, at an early age, like I went over to my neighbor's house who had, I was a little kid. I mean, like we were already like seven years old or something, but he had two siblings who were like three or four. They were twins and they rented the Barney video game. I don't know if it was for uh, Sega Genesis. I want to say it was Sega, but I'm not sure, but it was a Barney the dinosaur video game, video game. And it was hide and go seek where like you run around. It, it, it's like the layout looks like Mario. You know, the layout looks like Mario. It's a side scroller, but you don't, you can't jump. You, you, you just find little kids who are hiding behind bushes. And it's, as you can imagine, it's insanely easy. Like half the kids' bodies are sticking out from behind the bush. It's probably the perfect level of difficulty for a three or four year old. It's the perfect level of difficulty for a child who can barely pick up a controller. But at first, I mentioned this on here before. I just realized I've talked about this Barney game on here before because it was the first time that I remember doing something ironically. I didn't know what irony was, but it was the first time. I, I, I'm going to look up and see when this game came out. I'm going to use a lifeline, a rare lifeline. Barney, Barney, hide and go see. I feel, the thing is, when I use a lifeline, instead of going silent, I have to narrate what I'm typing. See, Barney, yeah, Barney's hide and go seek, 1993. So, yeah, seven. I, I'm amazed that I got that right. I was seven years old. Because I, I would have turned eight at the end of that year. And the game was new at that point. But it, it was my first experience with irony. Because I remember going over and like pretending that I was really excited and into this Barney game. And I remember even like my, my friend's siblings who were like three or four thought it was funny. Like they knew that I wasn't the target audience for Barney. And they, I remember them giggling and thinking it was really funny that like the older neighbor boy came over and was excited. Um, and like looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I was doing that ironically. Because like a, a kid like a seven-year-old like me would never think Barney's cool. So the fact that I was acting like Barney was the coolest thing in the world, it was I was being ironic.
So I brought this up before when I talked about that. My first memory of doing something with a sense of irony. But it was also an early lesson in like like something that's too easy. Because initially I was like, this is amazing. You just run around and find kids and they're really easy to find. This is the easiest video game I've ever played. But after about two minutes, I was like, oh, this sucks. This sucks because it, it, it doesn't get any harder. It's just a really fucking easy video game. And there's no thrill to that. When something is too easy for too long, you lose interest. And so Wordle kind of, not that I get Wordle right every single time. You know, I, st I still lose at Wordle sometimes. Not as much. Not that I, not that I ever got, you know, not that I ever missed that many. But it becomes more and more rare. You kind of figure out how the system works. Um, but I started playing Quartle, which I'm like, oh yeah, this is perfect. And so far, Quartle, I don't know that it'll it'll ever get too easy. Because even though I have the hang of how it works, it's so easy to get it wrong. Like, given you only have seven tries, if you don't get the first word within three tries, you're basically screwed unless you're very lucky. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because I just played Wordle tonight, the new one. And I had it so like the second letter was an R. And based on the, the letters that were left, I was trying to figure out like what it could be. And I looked at the letters and I was like, oh, Aryan. I'll try that. That's a word. And not just a one-dimensional word. You know, Aryan has a history. It's not just Nazis. There's a long history of the word. You know, in, in India, it has you know, a history. It's a word. It's not a name. It's a word. And there's, there's plenty of words like that. There's a lot of nouns and adjectives like that. But I typed it, I typed in Aryan just because that was one of the possibilities. And I was getting down there to where there weren't that many letters left. And I was like, oh, the letters for Aryan are left. So I typed it in and it told me that's not a word. So that means the word Aryan isn't in their database. And I was like, they don't want people to guess the word Aryan. You're not even allowed to say it in, in Wordle. And I, I started thinking about it and I was like, oh, it's, it's not even so much about the user. It's not even that they don't want insane neo-Nazi Wordle players to try the word Aryan. I think what it is is it's like they don't want that they they don't want that to actually be the word. Like they don't want the answer to be Aryan. Cuz that'll reflect badly on them. I think that's part of the motivation. Where if the answer to the wordle and wordles, you know, it's on the New York Times website which should tell you something. But uh if you if they were to allow Aryan to even be an option as one of the answers, they think it would reflect badly on them, I'm guessing. But that's that's a great example of just the insanity we're under because there are some negative words that, like I've done some and like the word, the answer that it ends up being is sometimes a negative word. And Aryan isn't necessarily, it's got a negative connotation, but like I said, it's not a one-dimensional word. But because it is what it is, like they, you can't even guess it. I could understand that never being the answer. I could understand it if the New York Times and Wordle 
never used Arian as the answer because like millions of people are going to be upset, which is stupid, but still people are going to, they're going to be like, Oh my God, I woke up and I did Wordle and the answer was Arian. Oh my God. There's people who are going to react that way, but it's insane to me that you can't even guess it. It doesn't even let you guess it. It's a word. It's a valid word. Arian is a valid word in case you didn't know. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I don't think there's a single human being, no matter what they believe, who would disagree that Arian is a word. And it certainly falls within the parameters of Wordle. But that's the world we're living in. And that's a tame example. You know, this isn't me being, oh my God, censorship. It is censorship, though. Because the thing is, sometimes even when I know something isn't the answer... Sometimes I'll type it in, like if, I, if I'm stumped, even if I don't think something's the answer, I'll sometimes type a word in just to get rid of those letters, just to rule out the letters of that word, because you can't submit it if it's not a real word. You know, you, like it's kind of like Scrabble, where you can't use a word if it's not a real word. It's like, even if you're guessing and you're wrong, Wordle doesn't allow you to use a word if it's not a real word. But I'll, but I'll, I'll, I'll choose random words, even if, it's, if I know it's not the answer, just to rule out those letters. And that's actually what I was doing with Arian. I didn't think that it was going to be the answer, but I was like, that'll clear a bunch of letters. It'll clear the letter A, Y, N, S. And I'm sure that I'll have the answer, if those letters get ruled out, because I'm getting down there, I'm getting down there. But I'm just like, that's so crazy. It's so crazy that like, you know, it's not even an offensive word, because I could understand the argument if it was a slur. I could, I could understand it not allowing you to type in slurs. But Arian, like, even if that brings something dark to mind, even if you don't like it, the fact that you can't even guess that word tells you a lot about what's going on. And you know, it, I've started doing dictionary.com's crossword puzzle every night. I'm sure that crossword puzzle enthusiasts, like serious crossword puzzle players, probably look down on the dictionary.com one. Every every single one, every you know, they release a new one every day. Every single one has certain words. Like IDES, I-D-E-S. feels like every other one, that's one of the answers. Whatever that, that I always pronounce it wrong. Like, is it Asai? Until recently, I thought it was Akai. Akai. An Asai bowl, is that how you say it? Akai, it's an Akai bowl. But another one, that's always an answer. A-C-A-I. There's a few like that. Ode, O-D-E. Seems like every single one, that's one of the answers. And they're user-submitted. So the dictionary.com crossword puzzle, like, users make them and submit them. They obviously have to get approved. But uh, I started doing those every night a few months ago. And, you know, I've never done cross... Like, aside from just, uh, like, a school assignment, or maybe, like, when I was really bored... There was a crossword puzzle in a magazine that I did or something as a kid. But I've never been a crossword puzzle guy. And my mom used to do them every day. Like when I think back to the good old times of being a kid, 
I was sitting on the couch drawing. My mom was in her chair doing her crossword puzzle. And uh, that was that was bliss. That was perfect. That was heaven. But uh, one night I was like, I'm kind of tired of Wordle. I should, I should get into crosswords. Because I'd, I'd never done an online crossword puzzle, but I'm like, obviously there's online crossword puzzles. New York Times, it turns out, I think you have to pay. Because the thing is, dictionary.com's crossword puzzles, they might suck. They might reuse a lot of words. They might be user-submitted. But it's free. And I'll tell you one thing. I don't pay to do crossword puzzles. I'm not going to pay money to do a crossword puzzle. New York Times, it's apparently you have to pay a monthly subscription separate from the newspaper articles themselves to do their crossword puzzle. If you happen to know of a good crossword puzzle, a good free crossword puzzle, let me know. The underscore harness at hotmail.com. I've had that email address since I was 15. If you happen to know of a good free online crossword puzzle, let me know. But, you know, honestly, with dictionary.com, it's not even about the fact that it's probably not the, the most reputable one. It's not even about the fact that it's free. It's become mechanical for me, and I enjoy the mechanical side of it. But it's a good example, though, of like the, just that easy rule. And I mean, it's easy to forget this, but it, it's true, which is just the more you do something, the better you get. And it doesn't seem to be, matter what it is. The more you do something, the better you get. The first time I tried doing one of these online crossword puzzles, it took me like 40 minutes because it times you. And I didn't like the timer at first. I was like, I don't like the fact that it times me because I had no intention of going quickly. And there's no time limit. There's no bonus for the amount of time you get. It simply times you. It's just for your own reference. And uh, it took me like 40 minutes because like the thing is, there's, there's a uh, kind of a language to crossword puzzles because I didn't understand what the hints were saying at first. They're clever. They... Yeah, the hints are very, uh, they're kind of obtuse. I'm going to look that word up. I use that word a lot, and I don't even know. I'm using two lifelines here. Yeah, I, don't know if, I don't know if that was the best word to use, but I think it fits. I learned that word from the movie Shawshank Redemption. At one point, he's talking to the warden, and the warden says, You're obtuse. And I was a little kid. And I, I thought that he said, you're a tuse. Like what I heard was the letter A and then another word, T-O-O-S. And I asked my mom, I was like, what's a tuse? You're a tuse. And she said, obtuse. It's O-B-T-U-S-E. And she told me what it meant. Ever since then, ever since I saw Shawshank Redemption in the mid-90s, Obtuse has been a part of my lexicon, and I use it the same way the warden used it. I probably don't use it correctly, but anyway, the hints are obtuse. And it took me a while to kind of get the hang of, of the way they word things. And it took me 40 minutes the first time. I think the next few times I was in the 30s. And that seemed reasonable to me, because my intention, even though it was timing me, 
my intention wasn't to like rush through it or try to try to like beat my own record. I was just happy to be doing a crossword puzzle. There are so few things I do where I don't overthink or my mind doesn't go off in all directions. So like just like sitting there late at night doing a crossword puzzle, it's meditation, it's relaxation. It's me just focused on one thing for once. And, uh, but I didn't think about the time, but then after I did it a few times, one, I started to get better. I started to do it faster. Next thing you know, I was in the twenties. I was doing them in like 20 something minutes. And then before I knew it, I was down to the, the teens. I was down, I was doing things in like, uh, 17 minutes and I was starting to care a lot more about the time. I was, I began trying to beat my own record. And I was pretty happy. I was feeling pretty good going from 40 minutes the first time to like 17 minutes. But then I started to try to cut out all of the things that slow me down. Because I used to read every single hint slowly. And I also, if I, you know, because sometimes you solve part of a crossword without even trying. Like just because you filled in other words in the crossword you completed one that you weren't even working on. You know, that happens a lot. And what I would do then, like kind of, it's kind of obsessive compulsive, but I would make sure, even if I had completed a part, a word in the crossword, even if I had completed it unintentionally, just by completing other words, just, I would force myself to read the hint just to know what it was. But then I noticed that I was starting to not do that. I was like, oh, that's going to slow me down. If I take two seconds to read a hint of a word I've already completed, that's going to cut that, you know, that's going to cut into my time. And so I, I just, because uh, the thing is, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. I don't seek out competition with other people. I'm very competitive with myself. And, uh, with this, it was like I suddenly got very competitive with myself. Every day, I was like, I want to get a better time. And I was getting better, and my times were getting better. And then I, I got down to where, like, I remember the first time I got one in less than 15 minutes. I think it was like 1450-something. And I was so proud of myself. I was like, I, got, I did it in under 15 minutes. You know, I was, I was very proud of myself. Well then, oh wait, I did another one that was 14 minutes. Oh, now I'm getting down to 13. You know, not not every single time, but I was I was never getting into the 20s anymore. I was starting to hover around the 15 minute range, and then I got better and better. I started to get down. I think I got. I remember getting under 12 minutes. Well, I think I remember getting like 12:34, and being once again being very proud. I'm like, wow, I'm getting down there. I couldn't get much better than this. I don't think I could do one faster than 12.34. Well, all of a sudden, I, I do one in under 12. I mean, I could just keep going here, but uh, eventually, I did one in like under 9. I did like 8.50 something. And that's that's hard to do even now. And then finally, I think the best time that I've gotten was like 8 minutes, 4 seconds. I'm at a point now where I, that's so hard to do. Like even that, like eight minutes, four seconds, you basically have to get everything right away. Like you can't spend any time thinking about 
the hints. Like you have to get the right board. It's what we call getting the right board where sometimes that happens. Like sometimes I will get one where I just know all the answers and it's totally random. You know, it's, it's random information. And the ones that really get me, the really hard words, the really hard hints are when they're about new celebrities. Like, like I know who Ariana Grande is. She was an answer to one of them. Ari, Arian Grande. Hey, this Arian, hey, this is Arian Grande. Arian Grande was one of the answers, and I knew that one. But there's people who have come since then. Like, I, would, I know I would get Billie Eilish, Billie Irish. I think she was an answer to a question, and I got that one fine. I was like, Billie Irish. But there's some, there's, there's these new actors and new celebrities. There's TikTok stars sometimes. Sometimes the answer is some somebody who's only famous on TikTok. And I know those people are ultra celebrities now. But like, I, I don't, I've, I've literally never heard their name. Not even in passing. And I've realized that started to happen with me. Like, even though I pay attention to a certain amount of stuff, I've realized that even cultural osmosis isn't as good as it used to be. Like, I feel like in 2008, 2010, I was pretty out of the loop on pop culture, but I still feel like cultural osmosis, like, it still brought these people's names to my head, and I kind of knew who they were. But I am at a point now where some of these answers, I'm just like, I have no idea what this is or who this is. And uh, one thing I've noticed with it, though, just to go back to the Aryan thing, this dictionary.com uh, crossword puzzle, the hints and the answers are, are very lefty. A lot of stuff dealing with like gender, uh, a lot of stuff dealing with like, like gender bender stuff and pronouns. It's just interesting. It, like there's a very distinct, and this isn't me being insane. There's a very distinct leftist slant to the dictionary.com crossword puzzle. And I'm like, it's everywhere. Yeah, like Wordle bans the word Aryan, even though that's not a slur, even though that's, that's a word that you can say. Like if I'm talking about the Aryan Brotherhood or the Indo-Aryan peoples, the ancient Indo-Aryan peoples. While depending on the context, it could be considered inappropriate. But the word itself isn't offensive. The word Aryan isn't offensive, but the fact that it's banned outright just tells you something. Well, this dictionary.com one too... You know, because these are my escape, you know, like these are very much an escape for me. It's one of the few times I'm not stuck in my own mind just doing word games. But these hints and this dictionary.com, it, it's got a very distinct leftist slant. It's very much doing what everything is doing these days. The things they reference. And I'm just like, man, it truly is everywhere. And you understand why, why some people feel like they're going crazy. 
And you sound crazy when you say it. Like, I sound completely crazy right now saying dictionary.com's crossword puzzle has a liberal bias. The thing is, it does. It, it truly does. And it's been kind of eye-opening to me because I'm like, this seems like it would be the most neutral territory in the world. But no, it's, it's infected everything. But I shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised on Dictionary.com because we've known, and this is something we cannot forget, and unfortunately it doesn't get discussed enough. It seems like something that people would be willing to go to war for because of the implications it has, but it came and went, which is when a Amy Coney Barrett was getting uh, grilled about joining the Supreme Court and I, I couldn't give a shit about her. Like, I really couldn't. I couldn't give a shit one way or another, honestly, about Amy Coney Barrett. But uh, when she was getting, you know, when she was having to, like, give testimony or whatever it is they do to join the Supreme Court, like, they, they asked her about, um, what was it? What was the phrase they used? Let me think about this. They used, she used the phrase sexual preference when discussing gay people, gay peoples. When, she, when they were asking her about gay peoples, she used the, the term sexual preference, which I've heard my entire life and never had and never, never knew there was any issue with it. There isn't. There's no issue with that phrase. And one of her political enemies who hates her said, by using the, the phrase sexual preference. And the thing is, Amy Coney Barrett's like, her answer was that she's fine with gay people or something like that. That's probably what she said verbatim. I'm fine with gay people. I'm fine with gay people. But uh, this, this woman attacked her about that phrase and the media followed suit where they were saying sexual preference is a slur now because it implies that people choose to do what they do that they choose that they they choose things based on their preference that preference is a matter of choice first of all like i'm very schooled in this stuff i play dumb when i'm out and about like i went to an all-night party with some people about five years ago before i quit drinking we we were doing stuff that keeps you up all night and I, I've done very little of that, but I have done it. And we were we were doing something that keeps you up all night when you're drinking. And we were just talking as you do. And this girl, and I liked her. She was a bartender in town. I considered her an acquaintance who I would see. And we would, you know, mutual friends. But the subject of like political correctness and all this stuff came up. And I, I just kind of said something like, oh, I don't, I don't go for that. And this girl was like, oh, no, you just don't know better. And she meant it in a really sweet way. Like, she liked me. And she was like, oh, no, with you, it's okay, because you just don't know better. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, man, you don't know everything I know. I probably know more about that shit than you. And she was very into it. Around that time, I went to the mall with two women friends and we went to Forever 21. 
And as a joke, we all bought little necklaces. They were made of plastic or something, like silver plastic. But they were little necklaces that said, I think, a baby girl. It's irony. It is. It's, it's, they bought it as a joke because these weren't the type of girls, like my friends, they weren't the type of girls, obviously, who are going to wear baby girl necklaces in earnest from Forever 21. But they were buying them. And, and because I'm the dude, it was like being a teenager all over again. When you're a teenage boy around girls, you do things like that. Like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I bought the baby girl necklace too? So I did. And my friend took a picture of all three of us wearing it. It was like an up-close photo of all three of our necks standing next to each other. And it said baby girl. And you could see like my stubbled, my stubbled neck. And uh, my friend like posted on Instagram and, and with a, the caption said, one of these is not like the other. And this girl who I, the one I was referring to, I was partying with, like she sent that girl like a, a, a very, I would call it scathing message. And she said, that's so transphobic. Like, I'm just letting you know that that post was really transphobic. This is like 2016, no, 2017. And my friend, who's a very liberal girl herself, way, way beyond anything that I believe. But she's like, can you believe that girl like sent, sent that? So she's like policing. It's like... Me ironically wearing a baby girl necklace and my friend saying like one of these is not like the other is insulting, I guess, to, to like men who actually believe they're a baby girl. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck cares? Point being, this girl is obviously on that train. So when she said to me, this same girl who messaged my friend and said like, just letting you know that's really transphobic. At least she did it privately. At least she didn't do that publicly. But when she said to me, like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, with you, you just don't know better. Like, she meant it. She didn't say it in a condescending way. But I remember in my head, I was thinking, like, I know more about this than you. I know more about what you believe than you do. That's condescending, but I think it's true. But, that's, but it's, it's the truth. Like, I do know a lot about this shit more than I'd like to. And uh, I don't know where I was going with that thought. But uh, I guess I, I self-censor. Where like when that stuff comes up in social situations, I just plead the fifth. I don't want to argue about it. But I also don't want to... I don't want to lie to myself to fit in. I don't want to lie to fit in. So I just don't say anything. But it really is everywhere. And you, you just kind of, I, I don't accept it. You know, it'd be very easy to accept it and say that's just how things are now. But I don't accept it. You know, I can't. And the weird, you know, the weird effect of all this stuff is that it makes people, it gives people more of a negative disposition toward this stuff than they had to begin with. Like, speaking for myself, it's made me a little bit resentful of things that I didn't care about before. Like, I, I was never bothered at all by gay pride or gay peoples. 
Never. Growing up, like I was, I was never. It was never anything I. I didn't want to be. I didn't seek it out. It wasn't a part of my life. But you meet gay people, whatever. You meet gay people, whatever. That's just kind of how it was. It was just like, okay, this person's gay. That's fine. That's cool. I'm not particularly interested in it. Not that gay people aren't interesting. I think it's very interesting. I think it's very interesting that a certain percentage of the population thinks, I want to fuck men. That's interesting. Like, on every level, psychologically, biologically, it's interesting that certain people feel that way. But I'm not interested in it. Like, I'm not interested in gay culture. I'm not interested in... I'm just not interested in the way that's pre- that's presented. It's just not interesting. And in, in the same way that something else isn't. I'm trying to think of an example because I could, I could come up with literally any. In the same way that I'm not interested in pottery. In the same way that I'm not interested in certain music. I mean, I think that's a good comparison. Like, gay people, to me, it was like... That's a genre of music that is interesting in its own right. It's like jazz. I understand that jazz is really interesting. It, it's legitimately interesting. It's a crazy phenomenon that someone started doing that, that it took off with people, and it developed into this very nuanced and intricate art form. It, it developed into its own system of musical expression developed into its own system of musical expression. That's interesting. That said, I'm not interested in jazz. I don't like jazz. I've heard jazz that I like. Sometimes it's, I've I've come into contact with jazz and been like, Oh, this is cool. But it's not something that unto itself, I find interesting, like for its own reasons. Like I've never read about the Stonewall rights. I think it's interesting but I myself am not interested in it. I couldn't read a book about it. I could not force myself to sit down and read a book about the Stonewall Riots. It's an interesting subject that I personally am not interested in. That's kind of how I feel about most things. The vast majority of things I've come into contact with through my life are interesting simply because they exist. But I myself just don't care. So, so that's how I felt about gay peoples. And, and gay pride. Gay pride parades. Rainbows. And you know what? Like Rainbows now, like you can't put a rainbow on anything without it being gay. Rainbows have been claimed by gay peoples. But you know what? I'm cool with that because I don't like primary colors. To me, like every primary color put together, I would never express myself with that. It looks like play school. Rainbows make me think of play school toys. They make me think of like five and under. They make me think of toys designed for two-year-olds. Like when I see a rainbow, I think of like a play school car made of plastic that's like yellow, red, and blue. A bunch of primary colors, not for me. So I don't, I don't have a need to use the rainbow for anything of my own. So, you know, 
different groups claim things. You can't use the, the cross. Like, if you use the Christian cross, well, people are going to associate that with Christianity. Even though the cross is a very old symbol, it's an intuitive symbol. If you're going to use the cross as a symbol, well, people are going to think Christian one way or another. Even if you're even if you're using it ironically, it's Christian irony. There's no way to use the cross in our civilization today without somebody associating it with Christianity. Even if you're being blasphemous, it's still a reference to Christianity. Same is true for the rainbow. You cannot use the rainbow anymore without uh, it being associated with gay peoples. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with Christianity claiming the cross. I'm okay with gay peoples claiming the, uh, the rainbow. But, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with pride parades, they've been going on, I mean, you know, they've been going on forever, a long time. I had a friend, a family friend, now, de now deceased, very flamboyant gay man, very close friend of my family. I went out drinking with him many times. He used to have big parties. He was my mom's neighbor, had big parties, loved the guy. I loved the guy. Really, really fun, great guy. One time I ran into, I was downtown on a Sunday drinking pretty early in the day. It was like early afternoon. And I went into this bar to get a drink and I ran into the gay man. And I, I considered him like an uncle. You know, he, for a few years there, he was kind of like, you know, he lived right next door to my mom and like we were at, we would go over to his house. You know, it was just, I would see him out and about. Always really cool, always really good. Just everybody loved him. I loved his friends, you know. Those guys were a lot of fun. I look back on that, and that was a really fun time where he would throw these big parties and he would pay for all the alcohol. He would just have like a, a real assortment of characters, you know, interesting people. These old gay men there who were just hanging out, you know. It, it was a really fun group of people. Everybody knew how to talk. But I ran into him downtown, and, and uh, I didn't know it was Pride. And at that point, it wasn't a month long. But I didn't know it was Pride weekend. And I remember I had a drink with him, and he's like, oh, we're, we're going to the parade. We're going to Pride. I guess it was a couple blocks away. And he was like, do you want to go? And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. He's like, oh, you should come. And I was just like, no, 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 I'm good. The whole thing, though, is like, I don't want to go to the Pride parade. There is nothing there of interest to me. I don't want to go to most parades. The puppy parade went once. I went to the puppy parade once downtown. Loved it. I'll go. To, I would go if it wasn't at like eight o'clock a.m. on a Saturday. I would go again, and maybe I will. But the puppy parade, I went with a friend once, and that was great. I wasn't even into dogs yet. That was before I was into dogs. But a friend was like, "Hey, do you want to go to the puppy parade tomorrow?" I was like, "I do." That was where I saw the old man. I've talked about him on here before. I saw this old man by himself, ancient. He had that Fred Mertz, I Love Lucy body where he had like a big gut. Not, a, not even a big gut, but just like a noticeable old man gut tucked into his pants. Like his pants were buckled over his gut like old men used to do, like Fred Mertz. 
So it's like the pants bulged out. But of interest is that he was in a button-up collared Scarface shirt. It was like a Scarface promotion shirt. It was black. It said it had the Scarface movie logo on the breast. And then the back of the shirt just had like a, a printing of Tony Montana sitting at his desk in Scarface. Like the same poster... Like every single teenage drug dealer when I was growing up had that poster of Tony Montana sitting at his desk. Because every teenage drug dealer thinks he's Tony Montana. Every kid when I was growing up who sold dime bags of weed thought he was Tony Montana. But this old man was wearing that shirt. He had that on he had Tony Montana on his back. And he was wearing sunglasses. Just by himself at the puppy parade. Not being creepy. He was too old to be creepy. He was ancient. And I had my friend pretend to stand near him so that I could just take a picture of him without being awful. Someone could say that's still awful, but not as awful as just pointing a camera at somebody and not even trying to hide it. But I took pictures of him because he was at the puppy parade wearing a Scarface shirt. I don't know if he was an actual Scarface fan. And it actually makes no difference to me because I, I remember thinking about it and I was like, he's not homeless but he could be like those old men I've talked about who go to the thrift store and buy a FUBU shirt and don't know what that is. Because you see that now. You see homeless guys and old men go to the thrift store and because now like FUBU, like nobody wants their old FUBU shirts from 20 years ago, old men are just like, oh, this is a nice shirt. And then you'll see some old man, like a 90-year-old man wearing a FUBU shirt. Well, this guy was wearing a Scarface shirt. It looked like a thrift store find to me. But anyway, I'll go to the puppy parade, especially to see guys like that. But the pride parade, I just I have no business there. And you know what? Like the family friend, you know, when I said I didn't want to go, he was cool with it. It wasn't like, oh, my God, what, you hate me? When he was like, do you, do you want to go to the pride parade? And I was like, oh, no, I'm good. Do you hate me? Oh, so you want me dead? You know, he didn't, it wasn't a big deal to him. This guy's like a 50-year-old gayman, you know? It wasn't a big deal to him. But, you know, the way things have changed since then, you know, now when I see that shit, you know, I, I do feel, I, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what the exact feeling is, but it's like, I just think enough, enough. You know, that, it's just like a good example is like the CIA's social media account puts up a pride post. The freaking CIA, that's progress? Progress to me is like me sitting down for a drink with the gay man, my mom's gay neighbor, and just being like, hey man, how you doing? And talking about life. That's that, that should be the ideal, right? That's the ideal, is like, hey, this guy's gay, this guy's a gay man, a gay man, he's a gay people, and you know what? I'm happy to see him. I'm happy to get a drink. Not going to go to the pride parade. No problem. But it's where acceptance becomes, it turns into this sort of mandatory celebration. Not that anybody's out there putting a gun to your head saying, go to the pride parade or we'll ruin your life. But a good example is I, I was on a walk tonight and I walked by the co-op. And somebody had spray painted in big letters on the side of the co-op in white spray paint, Queer Wrath. 
queer wrath. You see that idea a lot. It's big. I've seen other graffiti like that, another like random shit in Portland and here in Olympia. Queer wrath. Transgender revenge. I've seen that before. Transgender revenge. And, and you see that, like, queer wrath. What do you have to be wrathful about? I'm not saying it's easy to be gay. I'm not saying it's easy to be a, to be queer, a term that, you know, might as well have no meaning the way it's used today. But queer wrath, like here it is an entire month where rainbows are everywhere. Every store where I live has a rainbow flag. The entire month is dedicated to it. So during like the middle of Pride Month, where it's unavoidable. Every single company, every business, it's top-down. The rainbow is everywhere. This month is dedicated, not just to accepting LGBT people. This month is, is, is not just dedicated to accepting them. It's dedicated to celebrating them everywhere, all the time. And I'm not saying that that's a solution to anybody's problem, but it's like right now to spray paint queer wrath, who in Olympia is torturing you? Who is torturing you? Are there people who are still legitimately homophobic? Sure. But, you know, you wouldn't have spray painted that 10 years ago. Before gay marriage was legal, in decades past when gay people experienced far worse treatment, people weren't spray painting gay wrath on the sides of buildings. So why is it that at a time when ex not just acceptance is at an all-time high and this sort of mandatory celebration is definitely at, at an all-time high? or a, a new development, really. Why then would you feel the need to spray paint that? Why are you so wrathful? I'm not saying there aren't issues that queer people still have. But just still, like, that's something to think about. Like, that right now, during this month, a quote-unquote queer person felt the need to write queer wrath on the side of a building in a town that is just, I mean, this is a Mecca. This is a Mecca, and it has been as long as I've lived here. And you know what? I, I wouldn't want gay people to feel uh, excluded from the community in, in Olympia, Washington, because they're gay, because they're gay. I wouldn't want people to be excluded in Olympia, Washington, because they're gay. Because they're gay. I wouldn't want that. Where that joke comes from, I've heard other people make that joke, and I wonder where they come from. I've, I've heard other people say gay instead of gay, and I wonder where they came up with it, because I know where I got it. My friend Andre, who uh, was the funniest kid I knew growing up, good friend of mine, had something seriously wrong with him that made him really funny at a young age and turned him into a multiple felon and one of the worst human beings I've ever met as an adult. But 
he just started saying gee instead of gay when we were in junior high, and it was really funny. He would say, oh, that's gee. But, uh, anyway, uh, gee. It's gee. Uh, where, where am I going with this? You know, I, I wouldn't want anybody to ever feel excluded from the place I live because because of that. I remember where I lost my train of thought earlier. I'm going to go back to it when I started talking about the baby girl necklaces. It's funny. It comes back to you. But anyway, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to feel excluded. And, uh, but it's just, it, it, I don't know. It's just weird how, uh, you know, in, in decades past, it's like when these issues were, when life was much harder for certain kinds of people, you know, they wouldn't have been, they don't seem to have been filled with wrath. But now that we're at this point, it's like that spray paint, it's not, that's not just a one-off. That's what a lot of people are expressing all the time. And many of them aren't even gay. You know, a lot of young women are liars about, you know, their identity. A lot of men are too, but, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of young women now, like they identify as queer because they choose to be bisexual on Tinder. You know, it's, it's the college lesbian who, you know, is no longer a lesbian when she graduates. That's a real type of person. Not saying she's not attracted to women, not saying that that wasn't real to her or something, but it's just this, um, uh, you know, you see it a lot. And I've been friends with women like this. It's like, they like to flirt with girls on Tinder. And because of that, they identify as queer. I think they're lying. I, I personally think they're lying. I'm not out to tell them what they actually feel, but it, it comes across as phony to me. And I think it's a way to identify with an oppressed group and escape the the scathing, and it is scathing, the scathing criticisms of quote-unquote white women. I think their way of escaping that and, and placing themselves higher on the victim hierarchy is to identify themselves as queer. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. I know people would be extremely upset at me saying that, but I think it's pretty obvious But it's even a status symbol. It's something people broadcast. So wrath. Wrath. Queer wrath. I'm sure someone would feel queer wrath toward me right now. But you know what? A lot of gay people hate this shit. A lot of gay people. Especially people who have, you know, who are a little bit older have been gay a long time. Maybe forever. But a lot of them uh, hate this shit too, and I listen to them. There was a guy on Rick Glassman's show, a gay man. Funny guy, really funny guy. I'd never heard of him. I love Rick Glassman. One of my favorite shows is Rick Glassman's Take Your Shoes Off. He, to me, he's one of the funniest. Just one of the, one of the funniest, most down-to-earth guys doing a show. And it doesn't steer into, like, quote-unquote, culture war territory very often. Rarely. I think Rick Glassman's pretty liberal. But he doesn't go one way or another. He doesn't signal to the liberal crowd. You can tell he, he 
you can tell he doesn't like the censorship of comedy. I think you can tell. I don't think he likes the climate we're in. But he's a, he's definitely on the left. You know, he's a uh, he's a Jewish comedian about my age. But he had this game on, and he actually asked him like what he feels about this stuff. And the guy the guy played it kind of safe. But you could tell this guy's put off by what's been going on. Which should tell you something. That should tell you something. But, um, Queer Wrath. I don't know. I'm going to go back to that thought I lost a minute ago, 10 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, hour ago. Uh, before I started talking about the baby girl necklace, what got me going on that was when Amy Coney Barrett got flack for using the phrase sexual preference, which I started talking, I was going into how I feel like even though I plead the fifth and I don't admit what I know to people, which led to things like that girl telling me at the party, oh, you just don't know better. It's like, no, I know, I know everything you're supposed to say and not say. I know, I, 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 you know, I, I know, I pay attention. I've been watching this develop for, since I was a teenager. I probably played, I probably paid more attention than a lot of the people who believe in this stuff. And, and I've actually entertained it. Like I've actually, uh, I've given their points legitimate consideration. And I don't disagree with every single one of their points. But I'm not into it. I'm not into what's been happening. I wasn't into it then. I'm not into it now. But sexual preference. Like I, I had never once heard anybody have any issue with that phrase. And when this woman said Amy Coney Barrett was bigoted because that implied that gay peoples had a choice, like they made their choice based on preference and implied that they didn't have, that implied that they were choosing to be gay. I was like, I've never heard that. And that's a, a total distortion of the word preference. Let's get away from sexual preference and just go with preference. I made this point at the time. I remember I talked about this on the show at the time that that happened a year or two ago. I have preferences. Let's talk about preferences. I prefer certain flavors of ice cream. I prefer Oreo ice cream over cherry. Did I choose that? If I have a choice, like if I'm at, at Baskin Robbins, if I'm a Baskin, if I'm a Baskin Robbins, if I'm a Baskin Robbins, I'm going to choose the Oreo ice cream over the cherry. And uh, if I'm a, if I'm at a place, let's, yeah, I'm at a place where I, I have a choice of a lot of different kinds of ice cream. I'm going to choose the flavor I prefer, but I didn't choose for that to be my preference, but it's still my preference. My preference is Oreo ice cream. I didn't choose for that to be my preference. I could just as well have been born a cherry guy. You know, my mom loved watermelon flavor anything. My mom loved watermelons. My mom loved watermelons. 
she used to drink this watermelon juice that Trader Joe's sold. I don't like watermelons. I don't like watermelon juice. My mom could, she could have all the, the watermelon juice in the world in her refrigerator. And when I go over to her house, I'm not going to help myself to any of it. If I'm thirsty, I would drink water before I would drink watermelon juice. That's my preference, but I didn't choose that preference. I didn't sit there and consciously decide, I prefer, I prefer apple juice. I don't prefer watermelon juice. That is my preference, but I didn't choose that preference consciously. It's simply what my, it's my taste. It came to me naturally. I like women. I like, I prefer women. I, I wasn't born and I didn't think to myself, hmm, what's my sexual preference? Is it men or women? Well, I'm going to choose women. I didn't choose to have that preference, but it's still what I prefer. And to go back to the ice cream analogy, if I was in a, if I was at someone's house and they offered me ice cream and they said, hmm, you want some ice cream? And I said, sure, what kind do you have? And they said, uh, well, all I have is cherry. There's a good chance I would say, oh, you know, I'm good. If given the choice between cherry and uh, nothing, I'm going to choose nothing. If I was given the choice, you know, even though maybe my favorite isn't vanilla, I do like vanilla. I do like vanilla ice. I do like vanilla ice cream. I do like vanilla. I do like vanilla. So while they might not have Oreo, if I'm at a friend's house, they might not have Oreo ice cream. But let's say they have cherry and vanilla and they say, do you want ice cream? Which one do you prefer? I would think, hmm, neither of those is my number one option, but I'll take the vanilla. But if all they had was cherry, I would not, I would not take it. I would not want it. Just like the watermelon juice. I'll take water instead of watermelon juice. Take water before watermelon juice. That's kind of sexual preference to me too, where Like if I, if, if I find a woman very attractive, well, she's Oreo ice cream. I like her. No question. If I'm, if I'm really desperate for love and there's no Oreo woman around and there's cherry and vanilla women, well, I might, I might be like, well, you know, this vanilla woman, she's not my number. She, she's not. You know, she, she doesn't uh, pull my heart out of my chest and drag me around. But you know what? I'll talk to her. I'll hang out with her. But uh, a cherry woman, no. Or a man, no. Because you, you hear about people in prison in different situations where they might be, you know, straight. They might be mostly straight. But in a situation with no women where they want love, they might go they might go with a man. A guy who's locked in prison who just wants intimacy. If he's out of prison, he might never go for a man.
But in prison where there's no women, he might go for a man because he needs intimacy that bad. There might be a situation where I want ice cream really freaking bad. I need ice cream. Well, if I'm in prison where cherry ice cream is the only ice cream served, I don't know if you knew that, but they they only serve cherry ice cream in prison. Well, I'm, I'm going to go for no ice cream. I'm going to go for none. If the ugly female prison guard, if the ugly female warden, you know, comes on to me, well, she's, she's vanilla. She's vanilla bean. That's a little different. Getting really out here with these ice cream analogies. She, she, and she says to me, you're obtuse. The ugly female warden looks at me and says, you're obtuse. No, but I don't know. I mean, I'm getting out there with this one. But um, point being, like, Oreo ice cream is my preference. But, and, and there, are, there are ice creams that aren't my number one preference that I would still go for under certain circumstances. But there are certain ice creams that are so far from my preference that I would never have them if that was the only one available. Same things for men. I've never been to prison, but I think if I was only around men, my need for intimacy isn't so strong that I would be gay for stay. I've heard that phrase. There was a, a, a former mafia guy who talked about how some guys in prison are gay for stay, which means they're only gay when they're in prison. You know, so, it, you know, that's just, I think, I think you get the idea that I'm getting at. A preference isn't something that you choose, but it's still your preference. Certain flavors of ice cream taste better to me. Some don't. Some appeal to me. Some things appeal to me. So when they when they did this whole Amy Coney Barrett thing, where they decided like, oh, that's offensive that you use the phrase sexual preference, even though nobody's ever had an issue with that. A lot of people were saying what I was saying, where since when is that insulting? Since when is that bigoted or hateful to use the phrase sexual preference? Never once did I hear that that was a problem. Maybe somebody wrote an essay about it. Maybe somebody wrote a BuzzFeed article about it. I've never once heard of it as offensive. And I knew people at that time, I mean, up until a few years ago, I was around a lot of people who were on the bandwagon with all of that shit. Whatever the latest thing was, that's what they believed. And, and they still do. But I never once heard that that was an issue. Well, nobody else did. Nobody else knew it was an issue either. But this was a way to attack this woman. This was a way to attack Amy Coney Barrett. Because she wasn't saying anything overtly homophobic, and they desperately wanted to label her that way, they went with the only thing they could, which was sexual preference. The phrase sexual preference is insulting. It's a slur. It's Well, guess what? Like Webster's Dictionary, one of the big dictionaries, the BDs, the big dicks, the big dickies, the big dictionaries, big dickies, changed its definition of sexual preference overnight. They actually changed it overnight. They added a new definition that said that it was a slur. And people even took 
screen caps comparing them. They showed how the word was, they showed all of the definitions on Webster's or whatever, Oxford, whatever one it was. I don't want to, I don't want to blame the wrong big dick. Take that one out of context. I don't want to blame the wrong big dictionary, but they're probably all complicit. But they, they actually changed the definition overnight to make Amy Coney Barrett sound offensive. And so that's something to keep in mind with dictionaries, and that should never, ever be forgotten. We should never, ever forget that one of the big dictionaries that people use as their point of reference changed the definition of a phrase to make it offensive to use, even though it had no history of being used offensively. When homophobic people use sexual preference, that wasn't part of their homophobic ar artillery. Like homophobes weren't going up to gay peoples, gay peoples, and saying, "Ha, huh, that's your preference," implying that they were making a conscious choice to be that way. That people weren't using that as a slur. Never once did I hear it used that way. But the dictionary updated their definition to achieve a political result. That is dystopian. And I have never forgotten. It's easy. I think even people who were upset about that have forgotten about it. Crazy. So doing this dictionary.com crossword puzzle, back to that, I'm noticing a distinct slant. And because these are user-submitted, I don't know how much blame I can place on dictionary.com, but they do approve these. It's not like they're not user submitted in the sense that any user can submit these and they'll run it. They're user submitted in that like they submit this to the company who then chooses one per day. They probably get thousands of, of, of uh, they probably have thousands of people sending in their own and they, they approve one out of those thousand. But there's a distinct slant to the, the hints and the answers. But I shouldn't be surprised based on this changing of definitions of words. That's truly, uh, you know, what else even needs to be said? And the fact that they would do it overnight. It's just there's no escape from it. And I guess what's funny about this, you know, going back to, to queer wrath, is, you know, I, I was raised in a time when being rebellious was considered a, when being rebellious was considered something to celebrate unto itself, not the result of the rebelliousness. Because true rebellion, true revolution is as ugly as you can get it. But the idea is that we have to go through this ugly rebellion to achieve the result that we need. But I grew up in a time where rebelliousness was seen as an end unto itself, where being rebellious was cool. Not rebelling towards some other end that's better, but rebellious it's, rebelliousness itself is cool. So as a result, you have people who are in a perpetual state of rebellion. And they don't actually, unless they mature, 
but few people do these days, unless they mature, they're going to continue to think that rebelliousness is cool unto itself. But what does somebody do? This person who wrote Queer Wrath on the Wall. What do they do when the CIA, the CIA's official Twitter account is posting rainbow letter pride? When the FBI, the FBI did it too. Everybody is doing it. Every corporation, the government, the U.S. military. We've seen where they, they'll wave pride flags. Doesn't make you feel too rebellious, does it? But that's the thing, is that like for people who are legitimately gay, it was never about rebellion. It was I prefer men or I prefer women. And I want I don't want to be hurt for that. I, I don't want to be hurt for that. I don't want to be hurt for that. I don't <clears throat> I don't want to feel like if I'm open about, you know, this is basically, I think, how people were operating. It was like, they don't want to feel uh, unsafe, physically, mentally unsafe. They don't want to be harassed. They don't want to be attacked for being openly gay. And so a certain amount of rebelliousness went along with that. We are going to rebel against this system because we think that this system is oppressing us. That makes sense to me. That's rebelliousness to a certain end. And the idea was we want to, you know, the idea behind that movement was like, we want to get married and have a white picket fence and have children and be able to adopt children without being seen as pedophiles, without being seen as audiophiles. That was the idea. And it was pretty clear. Like hanging out with those gay men. Hanging out with my mom's neighbor, like having a drink with those guys. Obviously, they talked a lot about being gay. It seemed like they, they couldn't avoid bringing it up a lot, but you know, that's their life. That's all their friends are gay. But it seemed like what they wanted, it seemed like all those guys wanted, and these guys had been through a lot. Like, there was a guy I really liked him, Sam. The guy must have been like 75 years old. 75 year old gay man. That guy had seen it all. That guy, that guy had been around forever. And he was 75 like 15 years ago. I don't even know if he's alive. But it's like, I think what those guys wanted was just, hey, we want to be able to hang out here with our fellow gay men and talk about our lives and be who we are without worrying. Very reasonable. But uh, I think there was a cultural divide even then, because I do remember there was one guy, and he's, he's dead now too, Kenny. Um, he, I remember him like kind of talking about some, like he was, he was older and like kind of, there was already a cultural divide. This is like 2009, but he was already kind of commenting on some things, like kind of a divide with younger people when it came to that subject. So like, I think he, could, he picked up on like the, the direction things were going in. And, uh, and it says something about Olympia that like all of these guys gravitated toward this area because it was already, even then, you know, it was already a safe place for them. One of the most popular clubs in town was a, a gay bar with rainbow lettering. 
And what was so funny about that, that was so funny. I think that place closed down. But that gay club downtown, it was the only nightclub in town. And so as a result, like tons of straight people hung out there, girls. I never remember other guys, I never remember other straight guys ever being like, let's go to Jake's. Let's go to Jake's. Every single time that I went to Jake's, it was because like I was with a group of women and they, they're like, let's go to Jake's. But what's so funny is like these women who were, they might not identify as straight anymore, but all these straight women would go to Jake's and they would complain. This is so funny. They would go to Jake's and then they would complain about how too, how too many straight people go to Jake's. It's no longer authentic. I would hear this all the time when I was more social. There'd always be this, this always coming from women about how, like, oh, you know, Jake's isn't a real gay bar. That's what they would say. Jake's, it's not even a real gay bar. You go to Jake's and it's all straight people. What are you? Aren't you the one? Aren't you the one who's always dragging people here? What are you? Aren't you the one dragging your boyfriend here? Aren't you the one dragging your group of fr your straight friends here? It's like gentrification. <laughs> it's like the people who complain about gentrification are the gentrificators. You're a gentrificator. I've never heard someone complain about gentrification who themselves wasn't responsible for gentrification. They were the people who moved to that place and made it gentrified. That's what they did to the, the ghee bar. That's what they did to the ghee bar. These people who are complaining about how it's not a real gay bar, it's not a real ghee bar, because too many straight people hang out there. You're one of the straight people who, who drags your friends there. What are you doing? And what was funny is like the real ghee bar, the real ghee bar wasn't even a ghee bar. It was just this sort of like upscale restaurant that like the restaurant would close down and the bar would stay open bar hours. And like all those dudes that I hung out with, they would go there. That was their place. You go in there, everybody's gay. They would have karaoke. So like those guys didn't hang out at Jake's, you know, probably for the reasons that everyone was complaining about, but it was just so funny because it's like, aren't you the, it sounds like you're the problem. <clears throat> but, uh, what was I going to say? And, and I think, I feel like that kind of encapsulates this where like those guys, like their whole motivation was just to like be in their element. They wanted a place where they could be in their element and they found one. It didn't have rainbow lettering on the outside. I'm sure they put up rainbow stuff. I'm sure like during Pride Week they had rainbow stuff out. The place was like openly into that stuff, but it wasn't over the top. It wasn't a show. But getting back to that idea of uh, rebellion as an end unto itself rather than just a means, people are experiencing some real cognitive dissonance about rainbow everything. People who have prided themselves, because a lot of people became liberals in the last 20 years or, or the last 80 years, forever, because they felt that that was rebellious. 
And even if they agreed with some of the values, they also got off on the fact that they were defying the man. They also got off on the fact that they were different. It made them more unique. It gave them a sense of identity to be fighting against something. The evil homophobic system, the evil everything system. But now that we're in a time where this is everywhere, in government, in every institution, in every corporation, where I live, every street corner, every storefront, where even hardline Republicans ha have to be like, oh, I'm, I'm cool with gay people. What do you, there, there's kind of a, uh, an identity crisis if you prided yourself on the fact that that was against the grain. If you prided yourself on the idea that, you know, f you know, being on the left was against the grain, what do you do, though, when now that's everywhere and it's mainstream? Well, you go harder. You find something more obscure. And I'm not going to go into it right here, but we can see where, like, this whole identity, let's just say identity politics. You don't hear that as much anymore, even though it's everywhere. But, you know, identity politics, it became about finding the next jewel, finding the next treasure, finding the next thing that's a little more out there that makes you that much more rebellious. Because the thing that made you rebellious before is no longer rebellious. It's completely mainstream. And so not only did you have to find the next jewel, you have to be even madder. Wrath. You're filled with wrath because of it. Queer wrath. It's a bad state to exist in. Really bad. Especially because that stuff's so empty. It's, it, what that is, that queer wrath thing, it's very similar to fuck around and find out. During the BLM riots, summer 2020, all these girls I knew, all of these girls I knew, who aren't particularly fearsome, many of whom crumple if they don't get a text back from the guy they like within an hour after texting him. Many of them just crumple. Are saying, fuck around and find out. Fuck around and find out. This like phony aggressiveness. Fuck around and find out what? What are you going to do? Who's fucking around with you? <laughs> you know, who are you talking to? What do you, you know, and, and, and what that means, fuck around and find out what? That you're only tough when you have a mob of people behind you? That's what that means. Fuck around and find out means if you do something that gives me a sense of dissatisfaction, I hope that I have a mob of people with me who will do what? Like bash my brains in? You know, what is it? But that's kind of what it is. We've seen this intensification of spite and anger and wrath and, and a pride in it. They're proud of wrath. And I don't think this represents the actual people who have been moving that movement along. And, and I think the movement has been co-opted by a million other things. But it's interesting to me to see this even deeper negativity come with it. Queer wrath. Fuck around and find out.
But I think it's a product of like realizing that deep down realizing that, oh yeah, maybe the thing I'm doing isn't rebellious anymore. And I, I've seen people respond to this. I have a friend, she's very much on the left, very smart woman. And she made a comment about it like, oh, well, those corporations with the rainbow logo for June, you know, just a reminder that like they're not, uh, they're doing this as a show and they don't have our interests in mind. I think you're right. I think that's true. <laughs> I, I think that's 100% true. I think they're opportunists. I think the CIA are opportunists. Just like they didn't give a shit about gay people forever. And really, what an anti-human institution the CIA is. Anti-human. It's not even about... I don't even think... You know, you could say, like, the CIA was homophobic in the past. I think that's true. I think the CIA was homophobic. Maybe still is in some ways. I also think it was just anti-human. Is. I mean, the CIA is anti-human. Anti-human. But when when people who have prided themselves on being rebellious see shit like that, they say like, oh, well, we don't believe it. But what's interesting is there's a certain number of people who are like, oh, that's awesome. Dude, that's awesome, the CIA. There are There's a certain sort of mainstream Democrat who sees rainbow flags on everything. They see corporations. They see Raytheon with a rainbow flag, which, you know, these companies who make missiles, these companies who make drones, the U.S. military, there's, there's a certain sort of mainstream Democrat who sees that and says, oh, dude, that's cool, dude. They're on the right side. They're on the right side of history. But there's people who are smarter than that who say like, oh, no, even though I'm for that too, we can't trust them. They're bad. They're manipulative. And they're right. But you know what? I look at a lot of the people saying that. I look at a lot of the people's. And I say, you're just as manipulative. You're just as deceptive. You're using it to your own end too. You might not be the CIA. You might not be anti-human. But you're using it in the same way they are. When you hang that rainbow flag, that primary color rainbow flag on the front of your house, you're doing what the CIA is doing. Chances are. Chances are you're using it. You're not as bad as the CIA, Jesus, no. Most most people doing that aren't as bad as the CIA. Some of them maybe. But you're doing it too. You're doing the same thing too. Queer wrath. Queer wrath. Queer wrath. Queer wrath. Queer wrath. Queer wrath. Sorry, Batty. He just gave me a look. He's laying flat. I just see his head peeping out of a blanket. And he looked at me. Depending on the sounds I make, sometimes he, he reacts. This time it was just a look. But you're doing it too. And uh, what I was going to get at a little bit ago, though, is I was saying how you know this stuff, it builds more resentment toward these things. And I've seen this develop. I believe there's a lot of people out there who are not homophobic. They're not racist. They really just want to live their lives. 
And this proliferation of this stuff in everything and the mandatory celebration that goes along with it, the demand that you participate and clap along, I believe it's making those people more homophobic. And yeah, nobody's making you put a rainbow flag on the front of your house. But it kind of, it's starting to feel like it's everything up to that, right? I was thinking about a coworker, a former coworker. I really liked him. I went to a, uh, a football game with him in Seattle. Really great guy. Probably don't share a lot of social and political beliefs, but you know, you don't need to. You don't need to go to a ball game. You don't, you don't need to agree with everybody about everything to go to a ball game with them and like them and find them a good friend, a friend in the workplace, you know? And uh, I was curious about what he was up to because we lost contact a few years ago. And like one night I just, I was like, oh, I wonder what he's up to. I remember he was planning on doing this. He was planning on doing X, Y, Z after he left our job. And I looked him up and like, he's now a professional in a certain field. And it had his pronouns on it. And he's a straight man. He's a straight man. But it had his pronouns on on like this bio page for him. And I looked and like the other people on the the other people who worked for the company, who worked for this uh, practice, had the pronouns too. And I was like, I wonder if that's mandatory. Like it wouldn't surprise me, based on this guy's beliefs, it wouldn't surprise me if he did that voluntarily. I don't think this guy, knowing what I know about him, I don't think he had a problem with the fact that uh, this company he's working for like had made people put their pronouns on their bios on the website. I don't think he would have a problem with that. But it made me think, and I was like, you know what? That I wonder if that was mandatory. Because it wasn't just him. It was everybody I saw on the website. And uh, I wouldn't be cool with that. I wouldn't be cool with the company I work for saying you have to put your pronouns on the website. And the same is true, like, if I worked for a company where they, um, I worked for a company at one point, and it was like right as the tide was changing with this stuff, and the company was always trying to be super progressive, and everybody who worked there was, and that was okay. Like, during the 2000. 12 election the ceo put obama sticker like a pile of obama stickers in the break room and uh, and you know it's funny too because like when you don't express your beliefs yeah this is uh i guess 2012 would have been the 2012 election the last time obama oh last time obama got elected but uh it was just kind of assumed that everybody there was progressive and I got along with everybody. There were people I liked there, people I didn't like, people I was indifferent toward, but most I mostly liked everybody. But I remember the day of the election when uh, when Obama got elected the second time, there was a girl who worked there, and I, I really like her. She's really cool and uh, not very political. But in a very giddy kind of uh, not very self-aware moment, she just said out loud in the office to everybody, she's like, it's kind of amazing we work at a place where everybody voted for Obama. 
And I, I, I just kind of looked up from my desk and I said, oh, I wouldn't assume that. I wouldn't assume that. I could name at least three people in a, in a small workplace who certainly didn't vote for Obama. I can tell you there's three people who 100% didn't vote for Obama because I, I know and I knew that for a fact. The three of us formed our own little, <laughs> we, we had our own little uh, group, group, you know, I was friends with everybody, but like we would, the three of us would go out for drinks and it was very free. We didn't go out so that we could be offensive. I mean, one of us was Muslim. One of us three was a Muslim. He, he was he, he was the most diehard uh, conservative out of any of us. I, you know I, I wouldn't I don't consider myself conservative, but uh, the Muslim, the Muslim he was the most outspoken of any of us. Um, but uh, it was just funny though because this girl in this moment she was just like, she, because she hadn't heard anybody say otherwise, she was like, it's amazing. We're working in a place where everybody voted for Obama. And I said, oh, I wouldn't assume that. And she's like, what do you mean? And I just left it. I didn't follow the, up that question. I was just like, oh, yeah, no worries. Don't think about it. Just don't think about it. But then at one point, though, somebody like HR was like, told the boss, like, hey, we, sh we shouldn't have Obama stickers in the break room. And so they took them away. They took the Obama stickers away. Too funny. But uh, it, it was an interesting time, though, because it's like that was kind of the default assumption. Because the people who have not been exposed to conservatives, who have not been exposed to people who just aren't into them, they have this idea that, like, you would know a conservative in the workplace because they would be snarling and snorting and their eyes would be bloodshot and bulging, and they'd be trying to kill you, be trying to hurt you, or they'd be obnoxious. They'd be outspoken and obnoxious. And that's that was a default assumption among a lot of people that I've known, groups of people I've hung out with. They kind of operated from an assumption that uh, they, they would assume that you agree with them on everything if you didn't explicitly disagree. And they couldn't really reconcile otherwise. I know I've told the story on here before about this group of people I used to hang out with. We used to drink a lot. Really had a lot of fun. They became more and more explicitly political in everything they did. And I understand I'm doing that here. But they became more and more explicitly political. And there was a, a conversation we had about feminism. I didn't bring it up. But where a woman in this group of friends was like, she was drunk and she was, she was like, I don't see why you don't just admit you're a feminist. Why don't you just admit it? And I said, what? She goes, why, why won't you just call yourself a feminist? Because you are. Because I guess because I treat women okay. Because I treat women like human beings. I must be a feminist and I don't, I just don't know it. But I said to her, well, why would I say that? Because I'm not. Why, why would I say that I'm a feminist when I'm not? And 
She's like, you just don't know. You, you, but it, it was hard for her to reconcile that because it's like she was so used to being surrounded by people who label themselves that way. Yet that group of people was always in this dilemma where some guy in their group of friends, some guy who they've been friends with for 20 years or like some guy who's dating their friend, these very like outspoken liberal dudes who identified as feminists, it would come out like it came out this guy that was a friend of theirs was a serial date rapist. There were news articles about it. Elaborate date rape, really elaborate. He had all these schemes. He would pretend to be a photographer. It was really strange, actually, because he, I never met him. He had left town, but he had been this, he'd been part of this group of friends. And he, a very popular progressive man, a PPM, a popular progressive man, a hipster, really. He was like a hipster type guy, of course. But it came out that for many years, he, he was a photographer and he was pretending to be a woman online who was acting as his agent. So he made this fake social media profile pretending he was a woman with pictures and everything. And he would message young women, adults, but young women, and be like, oh, hey, I'm, my ex-boyfriend is a photographer and I'm his, like, I work for him. And help him get business, like and, and like you know, and which is a weird angle. Like I'm like pretending to be an ex girlfriend who didn't exist, but the whole point was like a woman who gets a, an unsolicited message from another woman. You know, it, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing sort of thing, where it's like, oh, this isn't just a creepy guy asking to take photos of me. Another woman, it, you know, it, it makes it seem more. Um, you know, I mean, it's obvious. Uh, I don't even need to explain it. It seems safe. And what he would do is he, he would meet up with these women. Like, sh like his, and, and what was really fucking weird, this is how pathological it gets. His fake woman account was, he, he stole photos from a girl that he had gone to school with and like as a kid. Like he stole the photo, he stole photos of like a random girl he went to high school with and pretended to be an ex-girlfriend who didn't exist to lure women to him. So that's, there's a lot there. There is a lot to that. The fact that he would, he was pretending to be a girl that he had grown up with. So you can imagine he probably had a crush on her or something. You can imagine he obsessed about her. He probably got some sick thrill out of using her photos really weird shit and then he would meet up with these girls though spike their drink and assault them and when that happened people were in disbelief like i said i never met him but people were in disbelief and they didn't want to believe it and so that was this group of friends though who was like grilling me about why don't you just say you're a feminist y you are and you could tell it caused them dissonance and it bothered them a couple of them at least that I wouldn't call myself the thing that they are. And at that point, that thing was even losing its phrase. I mean, it'd be one thing if like 20 years earlier, we'd had that same conversation. Like based on the definition of feminism in like 1988, maybe I would agree to that. I don't think I would have called myself that, but maybe I would have agreed with the definition. Maybe I would have agreed that the definition of a feminist in 1990 or something 
fit me. I don't know. But by that time, by the by the late two by the early 2010s, I think this was the definition of feminism was already it had already outgrown uh, its container, and it was mutating into something else. And it bothered them that I wouldn't just call myself that. Because I remember saying in that discussion, I remember saying to these people, if you think that I'm a feminist, therefore I should just call myself that, why do I need to call myself that? If I'm doing all of the things that you, if, if I'm treating women in the way that you think women should be treated and thought about, isn't that the whole point? Isn't that the point? I don't, I don't, I'm, am I missing something here? I understand the need for labels. I understand the need for this group identity of calling yourself something, belonging to this movement, promoting this cause. I understand. I know, I know where, what your brain is thinking. But isn't the whole point, like isn't the goal of, of the feminist movement to uh, have a society that behaves the way that I behave? If you think that I treat women well, isn't your goal for all men in society to act the way I act? And if that happens, if, if our entire society starts treating the way, women the way that you think I treat them, Do you need society to call themselves feminists? Like, once you achieve the result, why do you need the word? It should be like a fish in water. It should be, it's like the idea that, you know, a fish doesn't need to know what water is because it's everywhere all around it and it lives in it. It's like me, it's like me and oxygen where it's like, there is oxygen in my environment that I need to live, but I don't need to think about the fact that there's oxygen because I'm living in it. If there's a lack of oxygen and I can't breathe, well, that's a problem. But if I'm living in an environment with plenty of oxygen, I don't need to think about it. If you're living in a society where men treat women the way they ought to be treated, you don't need to call it anything. You don't even need to think about it anymore. The fact that you think I behave according to your feminist standards means you don't need to think about it, right? But yet you're bothered. You're bothered by the fact that I don't call myself that. And the reality is if we actually got into an in-depth conversation about men and women, or if the definition continued to change, you'd probably be upset at me. Like if I called myself a feminist and you found out that I have a certain view about the sexes, you might call me a hypocrite. You might call me a liar. I might be like your date rapist friend in your eyes. Where I, that guy called himself a feminist. That's what I was getting at. Is that that guy who date raped those women and pretended to be a photographer who was a part of this group of friends. He called himself a feminist. He was, he was, he was Mr. Progressive. 
He called himself a feminist, but he raped women. And that was a, a recurring theme during my life on the town. All of these groups, all these progressive social circles, there was always some guy who they trusted and he was one of them and he said all the right things and did all the right things. And it was always coming out. Like there was a guy who was uh, popular in town around that time too. He had played in some bands and he didn't drink or do drugs or anything, but it came out that he was going to parties. He was very popular and he was going to parties at the end of the night and offering to give drunk girls rides home. And he was thought of as safe. He was a feminist. It came out that he was taking advantage of really drunk girls. He would offer them rides home and then he would take advantage of them. I don't know if there was like full on assault, but he was a sober man. He was predatory. So, uh, and people were shocked by that. Like I knew somebody who grew up with him, a friend of mine, she grew up with him and I, I told her about it. I was like, did you hear about that dude? some gossip but i was like oh did you hear about that guy like your friend i was like what's up with that and she was like what and i was like yeah it came out that, that he was literally chased from town he had to move or something she was like no that's not possible that's what she said she said it's not possible he's always been like really amazing about that stuff he doesn't he doesn't believe that way he doesn't he doesn't do that and and, and you could tell that she was having a very difficult time and i don't blame her she trusted this guy a lot of people trusted this guy because he said and did all the right things, but secretly he was far worse, but he called himself a feminist. Would you rather have that? Would you rather have someone who calls yourself the word that you want people to call themselves, but does the opposite? Or would you rather have somebody like me who you think is a feminist, but doesn't call himself that? And for the record, I'm not one. I don't think, I think I have many views about the sexes that don't line up with any definition of feminism. I don't think it's incompatible with it, but it's, it's not consistent with it either. But, uh, these people, they were always shocked by it. They were always shocked by that guy. But he said, it's like, when are you going to learn? When are you going to learn that people say things? When are you going to learn that people are just liars? And isn't the whole point behavior anyway? Isn't the whole point behavior? Because, uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I didn't have any dirty secrets to hide. I'm not even promiscuous. Not only do I not have any skeletons in my closet, I'm not even consensually promiscuous but uh just one of those things where you know people they they want to needle you about that stuff and uh, going back to like the compulsory angle where like this stuff becomes mo more and more it becomes mandated socially mandated like my old co-worker with he and him pronouns on his company bio, that becomes compulsory. And uh, that work that workplace I was in, there was a little bit of that 10 years ago. There was a little bit of that, like, like that girl being like, it's amazing, everybody here is on a liberal. It's amazing, everybody here is a Democrat. 
It's amazing. Everybody voted for Obama. You know, that sort of thing. That place had a little bit of that where you were expected to do a little bit, but it wasn't a ton. But I think that same environment today, because we would have to do these company photo ops. Like, you know how like companies will, will participate in like a suicide walk? Where everybody goes for a walk and jumps off a cliff and kills themselves. No, but they would do like a suicide walk where like they they walk like a mile around a track or something, and people donate money. I don't, I don't know what those are called. Like a like a, a thon, like a suicide a thon, like a, a suicide awareness walk. They would do things like that. But now I see where companies, it's like they'll they'll practically make you hold a BLM sign. Like, cause that company that I was working for, it's like they would, uh, they would do a lot of things for social media photo ops. And some of them were to signal progressive causes, but 10 years ago, signaling progressive causes was pretty light. It was pretty minor, but I've seen the shift where like, you know, today it's like, they might make you wear a rainbow flag lapel pin. And this happened recently, actually, this is a great example of this happened recently where, some major league baseball players, the major league baseball was having people wear rainbow pins on their jerseys while they played baseball, baseball. And there were several players on a team who decided not to do it. It wasn't mandatory, but it was mandatory because when they decided not to wear it, citing their Christian faith, they didn't say anything homophobic. They just said, as a Christian, I don't feel comfortable promoting that. I doubt, you know, I don't know what these guys think. I doubt they hate gay people. I'm guessing, at the very least, not all of the guys who opted out hate gay people. They're probably at a point, like many people, where they're like, it's like a fish in water. We're like, this is a part of life. There are gay people. I don't want to wear the rainbow pin. If I was on that baseball team... I wouldn't want to wear the rainbow pin. It might not be legally mandatory. They might not get fined or kicked off the team for not wearing it, but it was a big controversy. And these guys are labeled homophobes. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Where it's not that you are forced to do it and you will suffer legal or... um, It's not that you will be formally punished. It's not formally punitive. But you will be ostracized. You will be punished socially. Why don't you just wear it? You will be labeled a homophobe. If you don't wear the rainbow pin on your major major league baseball jersey. Because that matters in baseball. We need, if you're a major league baseball player, we need to know what you think. We need to know what your thoughts are on gay peoples. If you're a major league baseball player and I don't know what your thoughts are on gay peoples, why don't you just do it? Why don't you just call yourself a feminist? Why Why don't you just wear the rainbow pin? But it puts you in a position where not wearing the rainbow pin that is forcefully put in your hand makes people say, I don't know about you. And in the age of signaling, not signaling is suspicious. 
signaling itself becomes mandatory, and that's all that is, is a signal. But I mentioned this before, like during summer 2020, when primarily women were losing their minds, Instagram story, Instagram story, everything they were posting was about BLM. They were Santa Claus. They were making a naughty and nice list in their head. They noticed who didn't do it. They noticed who didn't have, who wasn't posting about that stuff. Many of them probably forgot it, but I I can promise you that a certain number of people who were doing that, they noticed who was not letting you, who was not letting them know that they support the cause. They knew who wasn't wearing the pin. When the reality is, just like these guys who call themselves feminists but are actually rapists, if I was a true homophobe looking to undermine that movement and hurt gay peoples, I would wear the pin as a cover for the nefarious work I was doing behind the scenes. I would be Machiavellian about it. If I was someone who was trying, if I, you know, honestly, if I was someone who had an agenda that I was trying to force on people, I would be the most Machiavellian motherfucker you ever met. My strategy would be truly Machiavellian. I would be wearing that pin, I would be waving that flag, and the things I would be doing behind the scenes to undermine, I don't even know what I would do, because I've never, I've never worked to undermine a movement or cause. But I can tell you that I would be signaling the opposite as a cover. I would know that not wearing the pin was going to have little impact. Like these baseball players who refuse to wear the rainbow pin, they're not really doing anything to undermine the movement. They're not doing anything to hurt gay peoples. They just don't want to participate in this mandatory display. And because uh, it, it doesn't do anything. If you're actually interested in undermining something, you know, if you have an actual agenda, I mean, wolf in sheep's clothing again. If I was a true homophobe, part of a movement to hurt gay peoples, I would wear that rainbow flag like a wolf wears a sheep's hide. And I guarantee you there are people doing that. But uh, that's not what it's about. What it's about is signaling. Oh, you agree with the group I identify with. But, uh, you know, that's the environment we're in. Wear the pin. Put the pronouns on your company profile. Do all the right things. Because the superficial display is what's important to us. How am I going to know? How am I going to know what you're doing? How am I going to know who you are if you don't wear it? Garbage right there. It's just garbage thinking. But that's the level we're on. I mean, I think a good enough argument, these guys who are like my Christian faith, you know, I wouldn't be able to have that argument. 
I wouldn't be able to use the argument. I'm not a Christian, so I wouldn't be able to say, hey, I'm a Christian, so I can't wear this. I would use the argument. I would say, I don't, I don't do anything that the CIA is doing. The CIA changed, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they put up a, a pride logo. That to me tells me that signal, there's something corrupt in there. There's something uh, Machiavellian going on there. Machiavellian. That seems like a good enough argument to me. Oh, I don't, I don't do what the CIA is doing. I don't do what they're doing. You are. You, you can do that. Doesn't mean you're as bad as the CIA, but I think you're doing your own version of it. I think it's the same thing. I think it's about power. I think that, that some, for some people, they know that that gives them power. It's like letting a politician kiss your baby. Everyone's like, oh, you know, politicians kiss babies. It's, uh, it's just like a PR stunt. People, <laughs> people think they're so clever. <laughs> people think they're so clever. And they say things like, when a politician kisses a baby, it's just a PR stunt. He doesn't actually love babies. It's like the same level of sophistication as, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the same level of sophistication as like when people used to say, did you know that reality TV isn't real? Dude, I don't, I don't understand why people watch reality TV, dude. It's not real. Did you know reality television isn't even real? People thought they were so clever when they made that observation. Same thing with politicians kissing babies. But that's all that is. You're kissing the baby. And everyone blames the politician. Like, oh, it's the, it's the politician who's at fault for kissing the baby. What about the parent? I would never let a politician kiss my baby. Kiss my baby. I would never let a politician kiss my baby. My friend Miles has a, a story. Like he told me this story probably when I first met him. I knew he was going to be my good friend when he told me this. When he was a teenager or something, he, pretty young. I think he was a young teenager or something. He was at a barbecue at his friend's house and somebody brought a baby and as everybody knows, and for good reason, there's a reason we celebrate babies. But uh, somebody brought a baby, and as, as usually happens when someone brings a baby, when they bring a baby, everyone crowds around and like wants to hold the baby and touch the baby and sometimes even kiss the baby, which is kind of crazy. But he said this baby was at the barbecue and everybody, like someone was walking around with the baby and everybody was giving the baby a kiss. Just like a little kiss. Kiss on the forehead or something. And they brought it over to Miles. They brought the baby over to Miles. And they were like, you want to kiss the baby? And Miles was like, no. And then they were like, kiss the baby. They became wrathful about it. Baby wrath. And they, he said they forced him to kiss the baby, I think, on the forehead. And I was like, I, I know that exact situation. Where if you don't kiss that baby, they're going to think you're a freak. You know, who would, you know who would love to kiss that baby? The pedophile, the audiophile. The audiophile would, would be the first person kissing that baby. 
But because Miles didn't want to kiss the baby, he became suspect and they, they forced it. They were, they were like, kiss the baby. That's happened to me. Like I've been in that situation. A coworker had a baby and she brought the baby into the office and everybody crowded around, which is totally cool. I get it. I get it. It's a big deal. But everybody was like taking turns, like touching the baby and holding the baby. And I stayed at my desk and I felt, I, I, I could, I could sense that people thought it was weird. Maybe it was in my head, but I could kind of sense that it, they, everybody else felt it was weird that I didn't get up. And maybe, maybe I should have, but I did eventually get up and like went over and it, it was cool. Like I was like, I, I knew this girl three months ago when she didn't have a baby. Now she has a baby. There's a new human being here. But uh, I felt like I was forced to. I felt like if I didn't get up and, and like acknowledge the baby, acknowledge the baby, I felt like I was going to be in sort of a similar baddies on my face. I felt like I, I would be, what are you doing, baddie? Acknowledge the baddie. Um, I felt like I would have been in a similar situation as Miles. Like People weren't kissing the baby at the workplace, but I felt like I had to acknowledge the baby or else I would be viewed as suspect, you all right? Um, some horking going on here. I just, I felt like it would be suspect and it, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, you know, it's cool you got a baby, I'm, I'm excited for you, but I'm, it's just not my style to get up and be like, it's a baby, dude, it's a baby. Dude, it's a I love that baby, dude. I love that baby. Dude, that baby's like my freaking dad, dude. Dude, that baby was always like an uncle to me, dude. Dude, I loved your baby. Your baby was... Dude, your baby's like a like family to me, dude. Your baby... Your baby's like family to me. You know, you're, you're expected to kind of act that way about it. That baby's like family to me. And that's like... That's new life coming into the world. I don't mean to compare acknowledging the baby to being forced to wear a rainbow pin on your MLB jersey. Because I think acknowledging new life is important. Celebrating new children is important, especially in your community, among the people you know. That is, I don't mean to, but, it, but it's a similar sort of thing where there's like something compulsory about it. And uh, I don't know. I mean, there's just more and more of this. Where even if you don't explicitly speak out or work against something, not doing that thing they want you to do is viewed as suspect. And I, and I dread situations where there's pressure to do that. And you see it in everything. I mean, I could keep going for three hours here, but you see it in everything. You know, it's it's the fat mannequin dilemma I always talk about. That day that I went to Target and I noticed that there were more fat mannequins at Target than there were fit mannequins. How am I going to jack off to mannequins, dude? How am I going to jack off to these mannequins if they're all fat? They're all fat. 
That was my motivation. I'm, I'm just not attracted to fat mannequins. No, but really, I just noticed because I'd, I'd heard the publicity. Oh, dude, Target, isn't it cool that Target has fat mannequins? Sure, it's great. They can make mannequins of any size or shape. A lot of them don't even have heads. Doesn't bother me. Headless mannequins doesn't bother me one bit. Fat mannequins don't bother me. But it was a big publicity stunt. They've got fat mannequins now, dude. But I went to Target this day and I was like, oh, most of the mannequins here are fat. And I had this thought and I talked about it on this show where I was like, you're not allowed, you know, it, it's treacherous. Where if, let's say you work at that Target and you're, there's a company meeting back, you know, in the, in the back room. You can't be the person who says we have enough fat mannequins. You can't be the person who pumps the brake. The store could be filled. It could have so many fat mannequins that there's no room for customers to even set foot in the store. It could be wall to wall. It could just be the fat mannequin store. But even then, if you're the person who says, I think we have enough fat mannequins, people are like, oh. See, I hate fat people, huh? Oh, I didn't know you hated fat people. But that's dangerous. It's dangerous in this climate socially, you know, and, and to some degree physically. It's dangerous to be the person who just says, um, you know, I think we have enough, even if it's well-meaning. That's because it's pathological. And the word path is in there. Because it's like you're, go you're spiraling. It's a spiral path. And when that way of thinking becomes pathological, that path just keeps winding and winding. And... Uh, you can't be the person who says, you know, maybe maybe uh, it's gone far enough. Maybe the path, maybe the spiral is tight enough. You know, you see it with, um, I mean, you see it with, with 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 commercials, movies, TV, everything, everything, everything. You see it with everything, where it's like. You know, I think we have enough. And, and then if you don't do that thing, when in a world where fat mannequins have been manufactured, not only can you not be the person who says, hey, maybe we should pump the brakes. Maybe we have enough fat mannequins on the floor. Not only can you not say, hey, maybe we should pump the brakes. You also have to have fat mannequins in your store. In a world where fat mannequins exist... If you don't have fat mannequins in your department store, somebody might notice. Hey, I noticed that you didn't you don't have any fat mannequins. Hey, I noticed that this movie doesn't have any of this race. And if you say that's just not that's not the story I'm telling. That's not that's not this story. Lord of the Rings being a good example. How they're coming out with a Lord of the Rings TV show. Because we need that. Those movies are great. Let's just leave it be. Leave the movies be. The books are great. Those movies are wonderful. 
I love the Lord of the Rings movies. They're perfect for what they are. They're not the books. I love the books. Movies are great too. But in this new TV show, they're going to have, you know, black hobbits, Asian hobbits. They're changing the story. That's not the story, though. That's not Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a fictional universe. It's a fictional world based on Europe, written by a European man, a European man. And the Shire was not developed around mandatory diversity casting. But if you have a problem with that, there's something wrong with you. If you're not outright evil for thinking that, you're at least siding with evil. And uh, you can imagine how those meetings go. You can imagine how those those Zoom those Zoom calls go. You can imagine those Zoom calls where they discuss their plans for the Lord of the Rings TV show. You can't participate in that. You can't you cannot be the person in the Lord of the Rings casting Zoom call discussion who said, "Hey, maybe maybe the story doesn't need mandatory diversity in the Shire. Maybe it doesn't need that." Maybe that's not what it is. Maybe this is a different story. But no, that, that's it's treacherous ground. It's it's saying that it's saying we have enough fat mannequins. That's the same thing. You you can't be that person, and they weed you out. They weed people like that out. You can't be a part of it if if you th see things that way. But you'd think like Lord of the Rings would be, it would be well understood. You think that Lord of the Rings, it would be understood that this was developed a certain way by a certain man and it's been fine. <laughs> Lord of the Rings has been fine up until this point. But there are sick people out there and there's a lot of them who had the thought that Lord of the Rings has too many white people. It's too, it's too white. It's almost like a story, a fantasy universe based loosely on European history, informed by European history, written by a European man. You know, it's just, uh, you know, that, that's what it was and it was fine. We loved it. But no, you got to change it. And if that was the only component, it would be different. We're hitting all the bases here today. But if that was the only component, that would be fine. If the only component was a casting change, that'd be fine. But something else is always lost. Something else is always worse. It's less creative. It's less interesting, to me at least. I'll speak for myself. It's, it's less creative and it's less interesting. It's less engaging. It's distracting. 
It's not that story. That's not the story. And the story suffers in other ways. Beyond that decision, beyond these casting decisions, the story suffers. Because a lot of other things go haywire, too. When people like that are at the controls, a lot of other things, not only, you know, not only is the ride going to suck, but you're not going to get to the destination. Because those people aren't creative anyway. People who think that way, they're not creative people. They are, um, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what they are. I don't know what they are. But uh, it's, it's wild because it's just like, oh, okay. It's not just that decision. It's the, that decision to turn the Shire into a hotbed of, to turn, that decision to turn the Shire into a, a hotbed of hobbit diversity inevitably leads to other problems in the development. It leads to other problems with the production. And as a result, people often don't like this stuff. This stuff often doesn't do well. It's often not popular or well-received by people who simply want a good story. And then when these things don't do well, or there's some sort of criticism about them, well, they say, oh, people didn't like it because they hate black people. They hate black people so much that they refuse to support the new Lord of the Rings because it has black hobbits. It's not about all of the other things that suffered from that mode of thinking. It's the fact that these bigots hate it so much. It's not that it sucked. It couldn't possibly suck. And you see this with politics. We're hitting all the bases, like I said. You see this with politics where, you know, a, a big part of, of Kamala Harris becoming the VP I mean, Obama bin Biden said explicitly, like, we need a black woman in that role. And that was celebrated. But that gives you an out, because then, if she's not suited for the job, if she's not a good VP, well, you have an out. You can say, oh, I know why you don't think she's great. I don't think about her, period. I don't think about people like her, myself, but we see this where people who criticize her, well, we have an easy way to label them. Their criticism couldn't possibly be based on anything else. It's this. And they built that right in. It's by design. It's built right in. And you see it with uh, movie and TV production. Oh, people didn't like this thing because of that. Not because it sucked and we ruined it. It doesn't suck and we didn't ruin it. It's, it's 
the fact that these people are evil. So, you know, I don't know. I, I'm curious where it's all going to go. Because to be honest, you know, I don't go around angry at this stuff. I know I bring it up. I bring it up. I think about it. It's omnipresent. I can't even seem to avoid it with my distractions, with my word games, with my online word games. Because another part of that is like the war on noticing things. You're not supposed to notice things. The fact that you noticed that uh, the the fact that you noticed dictionary.com's crossword puzzle has a certain slant to it. Well, how could you possibly notice that? How dare you for noticing that? That's a big part of what's going on. Doing things that you can't help but notice, but openly stating that you notice it is a problem. It means you're the one with the problem. It's a classic. Uh, it's a it's it's classic psychological manipulation. It's what people do in relationships. It's doing something shitty. It's it's doing something passive aggressive to your roommate. And then when your roommate says, hey, what's up with this? Saying, how dare you notice that? You make it out like they're the one with the problem. That's just, it's classic. And it's obvious. And you know it, it's it's funny too because you know it used to be the American flag. It's like it's like the American flag after nine eleven, where people it's like it was a signal. Expressing nationalism was a signal. I didn't do it. I didn't put an American flag on anything. I didn't go around. I didn't have an American flag sticker on my car. But after 9-11, if like someone, someone handed you an American flag sticker and you said, oh, oh, no thanks, someone might be like, oh, oh, you're, let, you're letting the terrorists win. Oh, so I see you're on the side of the terrorists. That was the mentality in the air. 2001, that was the mentality. If you don't want to participate in this signaling we're doing, you're on the side of our enemy. You're trying to hurt America. And what I've learned about this, because I'm not into the game of like, look at how hypocritical you are. You're doing the thing you hate because you're, you're doing the thing that you said was awful because that's everywhere. That's all the time. Like I said that after the, the erection, the 2020 presidential erection, dumbest joke I've made. But uh, I said, you know, it, it's going to be very easy to point out all the hypocrisies. We're going to see them every single day, all day, and you could spend all day, every day pointing them out. And you're going to waste a lot of time doing that. And nobody's going to change their mind. Nobody's going to benefit. Be aware of them. Don't don't ignore it. Like if you, if you notice it, you notice it. 
But don't waste your time pointing out the hypocrisies. And my opinion hasn't really changed as far as in just non-participation. Unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily get you anywhere, but as far as your own spirit goes, non-participation. Avoiding situations where participation is, at the very least, socially mandated. And when you're in situations where you can't avoid that, where you can't avoid these social mandates, don't participate. When I was in college, we had this speaker that I just couldn't stand. I think she was an author. I could not stand what she was saying. I was like 19 years old. I just did not like her whole shtick. And at one point, like we took, she's like, well, let's take a quick break. I want everybody to stand up and wiggle. No joke. I said, I want everybody in this auditorium to stand up and wiggle. And then, and she was smart because she said, and don't be that person who just stands or sits there not wiggling because you're the one who's going to look stupid. If you think that everybody looks stupid standing up and just wiggling their bodies, you know, and, and you just sit there and don't wiggle, you're going to be the one who looks stupid. And as everybody was standing up, I just stood up and walked out. I don't need a medal for it. I wasn't brave. Didn't make me cooler. But I, I was like, I not only did I not like this lecture or speech, which was very political, but instead of, I'm not going to be the person who looks stupid by not wiggling like everybody else. So just get up and shake. Just get up and wiggle. Just, you've been sitting for an hour. Just get up and shake. Get that blood moving again. That's what she was saying. I was like, no, I'm not going to be the person who sits there and is stupid for not wiggling. But I'm also not going to be the person who stands up and wiggles. I'm, I'm just leaving. I'm not brave. I'm not cool. I just don't want to participate. If I was a Major League Baseball player and they told me to wear this rainbow pin, I wouldn't see not wearing it as a brave or noble statement. I would just want out. Unfortunately, though, there are many situations like these baseball players, they can't just stop playing baseball. I mean, I think they did what they they did what they could, which is just not wear it. Unfortunately, there's no real out there. Like if you want to play baseball, well, it, it's going to be a statement either way. But if, if you can escape making a statement, I mean, here I am making one, but if you can escape making a statement, I think as far as I can tell, that's the best route right now. I've been kind of in a, you know, my, my philosophy has just been endure, weather, stare at the burning bush. I'm not the one with my foot on the pedal. You know, I'm, my, my foot isn't on the gas pedal. It's nowhere near the brake either. So I'm not going to be the one who says we need to hit the brakes. I'm just not going to be in the vehicle. 
I'm just going to weather this. I'm just going to watch this play out. I'm going to watch the spiral get tighter. But even being in that position, and I'm not a victim. Nobody's victimizing me. I just don't like it. But it creeps into your life when you're doing crossword puzzles. It creeps into your life when you're on Wordle. And someone would say, why is it so important to you for you to be able to use the word Aryan in a word game? In a game where you're supposed to guess a random word that's generated... In a, in a game where you're trying to solve a five-letter word, a random five-letter word, why is it so important to you that you be allowed to use the word Aryan? Well, it could be any word. It could be the word 40. Just trying to think of five-letter words. F-O-R-T-Y, it's five. I would feel the same way as I did tonight. Like, if I typed in 40 and it told me that is not a word, because it didn't say we don't accept this word. It said that's not a word. I'm not even joking. It said that is not a word. It said Aryan is not a word. It's a word. Might not be a word you like, but it's a word. Don't tell me it's not a word. I'd feel the same way if I typed in 40. And the thing is, it could be any word. Tomorrow, it could be any word. And it's not about that single word. It's about everything that's happening. Just like why these TV shows and movies are terrible isn't because of the diversity casting. It's not because of the Burger King Kids Club mandatory diverse cast. It doesn't suck because of that. That's a symptom of the, of the bigger picture of why it sucks. And the fact that that's playing out down the board. It's not that this is one thing that's coming out that happens to have black hobbits. Watch, it'll come out. They'll come out with it. It's just going to be like an all-white, blonde, blue-eyed cast, but be an Aryan cast. But, uh, you know, it doesn't suck because of that. It's that that's a symptom of the greater suck that is happening. And it is sucking things down into it. It is sucking them. Just sucking. Talking about all this, uh, talking about gay peoples, and now you're talking about sucking? kind of show is this? No, but it's just a symptom of the greater suck. It's a symptom of the greater suck.
Hey.